Hey, love you to turn to the book of John, chapter 9, John chapter 9. If, you're, uh, if you have a device, you want to go ESV version. My name is Ronnie. If you're new here, I'm one of the pastors here at Substance and glad, glad to be here with you today. Glad you joined us. John chapter 9. We are going to be taking a short break in the Gospel of John this summer. So June and July, we'll be moving into some other territory. We'll pick it back up in August. We're going to take this all the way until uh, Advent in December. So just to give you a little bit of a, a roadmap there. But today we're going to be in John chapter 9. If you guys have those seatbelts uh, on your chairs, uh, buckle up because we're going to do the whole chapter. All right. So we've got some reading ahead of us. And I'm going to dig in right now with that. John chapter 9, as he passed by, talking about Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, because night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And having said these things, he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, it is he. And others said, no, but, but he is like him. And he kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes open? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to uh, Salome and wash. So I went and I washed and I received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. Verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And he said, he's a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked him, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he see now? And his parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but now but how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. And therefore his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. Verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man who'd been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I've told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? 
do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And the man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Verse 34, they answered him, you were born in utter sin and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? And he answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. And some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. This is the word of the Lord. And we still have a sermon to preach after all that. Well, there are two things happening here. And this is a long chapter, so we're going to break it down to a couple of, couple of points here this morning. But two things are happening here. The first one is this, is that we see Jesus breaking the Sabbath as he has been doing, as he had the habit of doing. And he heals a man here who the Pharisees refused to believe was actually healed, which is why in the middle there, you're just seeing this like run of events. Hey, call the, call the dude's parents. This guy, was, is this guy your son? Was he born blind? How does he see? The parents, I don't know. And we're afraid to even tell you because you might kick us out of the synagogue. Then they bring the man back and forth to him two times and say, tell us who did this. At some point, you get the exasperation in this man. He's like, look, I keep trying to tell you who this man is, and you're just not receiving it. Like, what am I missing here? It's that the Pharisees did not want to receive Jesus as being the one who could actually give this man his sight back. They refused to believe that he was actually healed. And what we have here is a case of really spiritual blindness that Jesus exposes after healing this man of his physical blindness. So today what we're going to look at um, is what it means to see. What it means to see. We talk about being a Christian. We do, we do this a lot. I, I go here a lot. We, we, talk, we talk about being a Christian as something that is countercultural, right? We use that word. And that is because when it is lived out, when the Christian life is lived out in actual Christ-likeness, it will be counter. It'll be counter to the culture's values in a bunch of different ways. One of the ways uh, is, is, is how our culture values, what our culture values, what they admire, what they revere. And one of the things we know that our culture admires, values, and reveres are people who are, who are gifted, people who are powerful, people who are famous, people who are wealthy and successful. And we just are drawn to people that have made something out of themselves, right? We love those stories, right? We admire those kinds of people. They're like us, but they're not like us. And we love the fact that if they were like us, they were able to sort of like push themselves forward in society in a way that they achieve success that we can only dream of. And so we stand back and we go, man, if only that was me. 
I love that. I'm so into that. I love their story, right? Then you get this flip with Christianity. You get this just bizarro-y flip with, with, the whole, with the whole thing here. Because Christianity finds great worth in weakness, value in weakness, right? In those who don't think so highly of themselves, but lay themselves low before the, the, the Lord, lay themselves low before the world in humility, knowing that without the forgiveness and the righteousness of Jesus, they are lost. So Christianity comes in and goes, hey, you know what? All those things that you guys admire, this sort of worldly power and success and influence, those things aren't intrinsically bad because God actually gives those to certain people. He gives those to some Christians. But for that to be the thing that motivates us, for that to be the thing that inspires our hearts, for that to be the thing, the means, and the ways that we judge other people is us, uh, is us sort of absorbing how the world looks at people, right? One of my favorite movies of all time is a movie called Hoosiers, if you guys have seen that. Um, it's, it's, about a, uh, it's about a basketball team from this tiny town in Indiana who goes on to win the state championship. Um, so this team only has seven players, right? Um, they have this new coach who, Gene Hackman, he is a hot mess as he's rolling in to coach this team, right? They have no money. They have no influence. They, have a, they just face a ton of adversity. They're like seven dudes in this small Indiana town that makes like Ashland look like a metropolis, right? Um, but what's interesting about this movie and what's so awesome about it is that this team knew who they were. They saw themselves for who they really were. They saw that they needed this coach who kind of broke all the rules, right? Who kind of just didn't play like the same kind of defense that they were used to playing, you know, all the time. But he kind of came in and he offered them something different. He basically put a mirror in front of them and said, hey, what kind of team do you want to be? Because I want a team that maybe can go all the way and win some games and maybe win a championship. Right? So he kind of put a mirror in front of them, presented himself as a way for them to see who they were and what they could become. Right? And what happens is they're rewarded in the end. They win the state championship against a team that should have absolutely destroyed them. Right? And that's why the movie's so awesome, right? It's the feel, you know, it's the old school feel good film. Um, if you are an authentic follower of Christ, you are someone that sees yourself for who you really are. Not all the time. And you're going to grow in that. You're going to grow in the way that you see yourself, right? But you are somebody at the point of salvation who saw themselves as they really were. You saw how much you need Jesus because you know that without him, there is no other way. There is no other way to remove your guilt and shame. There is no other way to find peace with God. There is no other way to, to have abundance in this life. There is no other way to lay your head down on the pillow and know what's going to happen to you if you get hit by a bus the next day. Or you live a long, illustrious life. Either way, it's coming. But that's the only way, right? That's the only way. All Christians are former blind people. And that's what we see happening today in this passage. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at just two observations on what it means to see. What does it mean for us to actually see? And the first one is this. What it means for us to see is seeing our suffering through the eyes of Jesus. Seeing our suffering through the eyes 
of Jesus. Jesus answers right at the beginning of this passage one of the great theological questions of the ages, which is this. Do I suffer because I'm a sinner? The second part of that question is, is suffering punishment for my sins? So Jesus essentially answers both of these questions. And he says here in verse 3, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, to answer the first part of that question, do I, do I suffer because I'm a sinner? Well, we got to go back, right? The, the, the thing is, when Adam and Eve sinned, it, it did something. It propelled mankind into a downward spiral, right? So it's like if the engine goes out on a Boeing 747, it has no option but to spiral downward. The way it was designed to fly has been compromised, right? We know that. That like, like the, the one thing is true because the other thing is true. The engine goes out, the thing's nose diving down. That's just what's going to happen, right? When Adam broke God's law, mankind was compromised. That's one way of phrasing it and looking at it. The way God had created us to live and to worship him was broken. And it propelled human beings as well as, as creation itself into just this state of decay and suffering that ends in physical death, right? Paul mentions this in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 22. He's, he's talking about like what this does to us, what this does to creation, what this does to our sense of longing because we are in a place, we are in a state. You guys are all in a place. You guys are all in a state that, that, allowed, that, that inside, intrinsically, you are groaning for something because you know this isn't right. You know this is not what life was meant to be. And Paul just lays it out. He says, when he says, creation has been groaning together uh, in the pains of childbirth until now. I'll give you the sense of what those, what those pains are, right? And not only the creation, he says, but we ourselves. We ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit, right? For those who have been saved by Jesus. He said, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. So there is a sense here, an ultimate sense, that when we suffer, we are suffering from the effects of the fall and we are groaning for redemption. Just like this man who was born blind, he was groaning. He could have only dreamed to get his eyesight back, to see what everybody else sees, to know what people meant when they said, hey, look, that's green, right? To be able to see the face of his mom and dad and his family and his friends, he groaned to be able to see. So in an ultimate sense, when we suffer, we are suffering from, we are always suffering from the effects of, of our sin. Second part of the question is, is suffering punishment for my sins? And that's what he was getting at here when he said, his disciples asked him in verse two, and they said, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? See how narrow that was? See how black and white that was? You see what a lack of nuance that had? Who sinned? It must be him. It must be his, his parents, right? They, they ask the question. So we want to be careful here as we explain this, okay? There's, there's, it requires some nuance. For example, if we go back to the Old Testament, remember David, who committed that evil against Bathsheba and Bathsheba's husband and got Bathsheba pregnant, right? You remember that God allowed King David's newborn son with Bathsheba to die. And we know 
how displeased he was with David because of the evil again that allowed that pregnancy to take place. So what we would say is that sin has consequences, 100%, right? We can also say that God will eventually punish the wicked and the unrepentant, right? So, so this, this question really teases out and we don't have time to unpack it in all the intricate ways. We should probably cover this during a Doctrine Deeps one of these days. On, on the, we do this on the 4th. We're doing it tomorrow, the 4th uh, Monday of the month. So we can really tease out what we're talking about this. But the fact is, is that, that sin in the ultimate sense will not remain unpunished forever. Right? And that really helps us. That really helps us, especially when we witness a particular kind of like of egregious evil in the world. And we have to stand back and sometimes we go, God, where are you? Why aren't you taking care of that? Why aren't you punishing that person for that evil, right? And we don't know why God, we don't know how God works in the timing that he works. Right? We just trust, given what he's told us in his word, that someday, someday all evil, wickedness is going to receive the justice of God. Um, again, we're, we're sober when we say that. Right? We, 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 don't, we don't say that with a bunch of glee. We're not flying flags that say justice, right? We're, we're, we, we also have an idea of what our own sin, the effect that that has had on us and other people, right? Um, maybe not to the degree that other sins do, but it still sobers us, right? We don't just glibly just walk along and say, I can't wait for all the evil just to be like wiped out. It's like, all right. I, there's some of that I'm really looking forward to, but I say it with a little sobriety, right? I say it with a little sobriety. And we should say it with sobriety. But the belief during this time, to get, just to get very specific with what's going on here, the belief during uh, this time was that if someone suffered, it was because they sinned or their parents sinned. Jesus offers a third way, so to speak. He offered a different perspective here about what's actually going on. He offers us another way to understand the heart of God, which is that he allows suffering to highlight his plan to bring all suffering to an end someday. Let me say it like this. He allows it so that we will experience spiritual refinement as his grace sustains and preserves us. Does that make sense? So he allows this suffering, just like he allowed this man to be born blind, so that at the right time, he would be able to display just the massive quality and quantity of his grace and mercy on this man, who, by the way, was not a believer, who did not deserve this, but as a way to show the love, the compassion, the grace, the mercy, the power of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? That's why, right? Now, again, that, that, that's why in that sense... Right? That, that's what we can know. There's so much in that we don't, we don't know. But that's what Jesus says right here. It's not that the man sinned in, in verse 3 or his parents, but the works of God might be displayed in him. See, there, there's this thing about being a Christian, which is that we're always moving towards greater spiritual refinement. We're always moving towards greater spiritual maturity, right? It's no different than your kids who are maturing through the things that they need to mature so that someday, God willing, when it's the best day of your life, you'll release them to the world, right? You guys should have laughed at that one a little bit more. But if you did your job, right? If we do our job in training our kids, in, 
in letting them become mature and more refined under our parenting, um, that's really what we're aiming for, right? That's the goal in, in one sense of, of, raising, of raising our kids. And God is concerned, God is careful, God is invested in your spiritual maturity, in your spiritual refinement. And how that happens is him showing his power, his grace through some of the things that you suffer through, right? And in that way, you experience this thing called preservation. You experience this thing called endurance. You experience this joy that says, I was able to endure because God is so good. He gave me the strength. Sometimes he removed the thing from me. A lot of times, most of the time, he allows us to go through it to endure it because our endurance is is precious to him. Our sanctification is precious to him. Our faith is precious to God, right? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul said, um, Paul had this, uh, people don't really know what it was, but he had what was called, he called it this thorn in his flesh. And he prayed and God just wouldn't remove it. We don't know what it was. It could have been something wrong with his eyes. Um, Whatever it was, it was something that he wished wasn't there. He wished he wasn't made to endure. Then he says this, he says, but he said to me, but Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. I don't know that I'm as content is Paul, to be quite honest with you. But he says this, for when I am weak, then I am strong. So somehow in our weakness, the strength of the Lord gets to shine through, right? And that happens when we're suffering, when our weakness is to the forefront of our lives, when it's most exposed. Seeing our suffering through the eyes of Jesus helps us understand the heart of of Jesus toward us when we suffer, right? Now these Pharisees, um, as we see, as we continue down the text, they, they just had a habit of judging people wrongly. They had a habit of judging circumstances uh, wrongly. They saw everything through the letter of the law rather than the spirit of the law, which was number one, Jesus healed on the Sabbath because clearly Jesus said, Sabbath was made for man. Sabbath was made so that people could understand the rest that I am offering them more fully. Physical, emotional, spiritual rest. And number two, the Pharisees would have said this man couldn't possibly have been healed supernaturally because he was a sinner. In other words, what did he do to earn the healing of God, if indeed this was God, which they didn't even believe. But they were faced with something supernatural. They were faced with something they had to deal with, right? Ironically, this can be exactly how we view the world. It's so interesting. We can default into seeing our lives play out for the positive or the negative based on the good or bad things that happen to us. It's a default. You guys should get all quiet when I say that. For once, I want you to get quiet when I say that. Because there's nobody in here that has not processed their lives like that. I must be getting my just desserts. 
This must be happening because I blew it. I said this thing, I did this thing, I thought this thing. So that's why when I got into the car this morning on the first day of winter, the thing didn't flip on. That must be why it happened, right? God's out to punish me. He wants to take me down because I wasn't a real good boy. I wasn't a real good girl yesterday. We, we can default into seeing our lives play out that way, right? Without realizing it, listen to this. We can believe in a form of like Christian karma, which is an oxymoron because there's, you know, karma can't be Christian. But we kind of do that, right? We, we kind of spiritual, we kind of, we, we, we sort of create this sort of spiritual karma in our, in our lives without really realizing it and without really understanding and believing and adopting what scripture actually says for us. Something good happened to me, here's spiritual karma, because I did something good that God's happy with. But something bad is going to happen to me because I did something bad and God is going to go hammer down on me, you know, like Thor. We just think that way. We just tend to think that way. Again, does the Bible teach consequences for sin? I mean, let's be clear. It, it does, of course. That's called reaping what we sow. But listen, that's different than thinking our actions are powerful enough. I need you to hear this. That's different than thinking that your actions are powerful enough, good or bad, to overrule the providence and sovereignty of God over your life. I mean, how much power do you think you have? I mean, you think your sin is that powerful? It is powerful enough to just, just abjectly change the circumstances of your life, 100%. But is it really powerful enough to change what God has planned before the foundation of the world in your life as somebody who is his beloved son or daughter? What? We would say that's a hard no. Or thinking that we made one mistake too many and God is angry and now we're going to get it. I remember, man, I remember one night when I was oh, six or seven and, and I had done something bad enough that my mom sent me to my room and told me to wait for my father to get home, right? First off, how about a little more originality, mom, right? We've, we've seen this one play out that way a little, little too often, right? Secondly, though, I was petrified. Uh, I was scared to death, not because my dad was a monster, um, but because I knew I would have to somehow pay for my crime, whatever it was. Maybe I know what it was and I don't want to tell you right now. Um, I actually don't remember what it was. Um, I don't remember it being that big of a deal. See how I'm already justifying it to you? Um, this is the vision, though, that we have of God constantly, and it's a wrong vision. Yes, God disciplines those he loves. He allows us to experience difficult things, to refine and mature us like a good father. But God is not punitive. Jesus proves this in John 9. And by the way, like I said before, this man was not even a, yet a, a believer. And it's imperative, though, for us as the church, as people who have been washed and saved by the blood and body of Jesus Christ, who have forgiveness, who are walking in righteousness, not our righteousness, who are walking in the righteousness of Christ because we have trusted him for our forgiveness and salvation. 
It's imperative that we see our suffering through the eyes of Jesus or we will be blind to his heart toward our suffering. And we don't want to do that. Amen? Here's the second part. What does it mean to see? It means seeing the work of Jesus through eyes of faith. Jesus makes a peculiar statement at the end of chapter 9 when he says here uh, in verse 41, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. So what, what Jesus is referring to here is the inability for these Pharisees to just see themselves as they really are. With all of their training, all of their knowledge, all their expertise, they lacked spiritual insight, which is so oxymoronic, right? Because they were the spiritual guides. They were the spiritual leaders. But they lacked spiritual insight. They lacked spiritual vision to see their own spiritual Blindness, Like Paul mentions this in 1 Corinthians 4, 4, when he says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So to see the work of Jesus through the eyes of faith means acknowledging your own sin, repenting of what you did not see until God opened your eyes to see. Those are the eyes of faith. It's putting your hope, it's putting your trust in somebody that was responsible for opening your eyes to see what you could not see. What are we just seeing in Grace Alone? I was in darkness all of my life. That's what it's like for Christians who were former blind people. That's what Paul's driving at with that. This is what it means to see. You know how often I was thinking about this, do we miss things that are right in front of our eyes. One of the most frustrating things in the world, right? Oh my gosh. Um, how often do we search the house for our car keys until we realize like we've just been holding them the whole time? Oh my gosh. I can't believe how often Melissa does that in our... <laughs> um, oh, what about I, this, this one gets me. How, how often do we, how many times do we like we search for our glasses and they've just been resting on our foreheads, you know, against our hat or whatever the whole time. I mean, just dumb stuff, stuff that does not matter, right? How often do we miss things? How often do we neglect to remember things? Um, how often do we neglect just to say hi to people? How often do we neglect to speak kindness to people? How often do we neglect to do just everyday things because we're so preoccupied with what's going on with our own lives? Here's my point. How much more our sin? If we forget the most basic things that literally don't matter, that literally make no difference because eventually you're going to find those keys, how much more, how much more our sin? How much more our sin, Right? The story of those who come to faith in Jesus is the story of blind people regaining their sight. And when they regain their sight, they finally realize what they couldn't see. And this is what happened to this man, and this is what the Pharisees were struggling with, because there is a humility and a childlikeness to this man's faith. I don't know how it happened. All I know is that I can see now. All I can know is that this man recovered my sight. All I know is that before I couldn't see a thing 
And now I'm looking at you right now. Everything's been made clear. There's clarity in my life right now. There was a, a humility to this man. There was a childlikeness to him. And then when Jesus calls him and says, do you believe in the son of man? His eyes are further open, not just physically, but spiritually to who Jesus was. And his first response is what? He falls down and he worships him. So the response to somebody who sees, what it means to see is that we have been confronted with Jesus and he now has become the savior and the ruler of our life. And our response to him is one that reflects that, right? That's what we see. And we do it with a humility. We do it with, a, with, with almost like a childlikeness. Why? Because like this guy, we don't know how it all worked out. Like, I don't know the, you know, the, for, the formula with the mud and all that stuff. Like, like why Jesus decided to do it that way. There's some reasons on why he may have, have done it that way. But at the end of the day, this was supernatural by nature, right? And yet he just keeps going back to the fact that he's been healed. Nobody comes to Jesus with their pride remaining intact, right? They come to Jesus after their pride has been broken. And then, of course, they have to battle with the pride that threatens them since they have seen the light and they can't believe that everybody else is so blind. That's another sermon, right? So that's when Christians become pharisaical, right? Paul says this in 1 Corinthians one twenty six. And again, this is as we're thinking about the way the Pharisees were treating this man, right? They were dismissing him. What does it say at the very end of the passage? You a sinner? How dare you try to teach us? How dare you try to tell us something about Jesus, about whether we should follow Jesus? How dare you instruct us? Like, do you know who we are? And this man's like, I do. And I also know that this guy over here just gave me my sight back. So when we talk about knowledge and we talk about knowing, who's the one that kind of knows some things right here? He's not saying that, right? This is what we get to at the end of the passage. But here's what Paul talks about here in 1 Corinthians 1. He, he, uh, he talks about this when he says, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This brother was boasting in the Lord. He was explaining to the people around him and to the Pharisees, look at what Jesus has done. So let's finish with this. What does it mean to see? That was just the name of the sermon. What it means to see. What does it mean to see? This is going to be so simple, I don't even know if you should pay me anymore to be a pastor. It means seeing Jesus. Oh my gosh. What does it mean to see? Repeat after me. It means seeing Jesus. It means seeing Jesus for exactly who he is. What are some of those ways that he is? He is someone who not only has the power to remove your blinders, listen, 
but the love to remove them as well. Jesus had a love for this man that he healed and brought into the kingdom. He chose this man. He wasn't just trying to flex. This wasn't another like, hey, Peter, grab the list, mark this one down, healed the guy from blindness. Pharisees didn't believe. Parents were harassed. It was the mud one, remember? Write that down, get those details down. He didn't do that, right? He healed this man to display his power that is frameworked by love. God not only has the power to remove your blinders, but he has the love to remove them too. And that makes all the difference, doesn't it? Secondly, what does it mean to see? It means seeing Jesus as someone who is not looking to condemn you, but to comfort you. So for those of you who are here and you are followers of Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. The condemnation that you deserved was decimated on the cross. So Jesus now comes to you not with condemnation, but with a particular brand of gentle and lowly comfort because he sees the places that you are weak. He sees your temptations. He knows what it is that you're facing. And he's here. And he's with you. And he walks with you. And he doesn't abandon you. He doesn't condemn you. He comforts you. And then finally... What it means to see is seeing Jesus as someone who doesn't ignore your pain, listen, but takes notice of you as a whole person made in God's image. So for those of you who are feeling unlovable because of the events of your life, because of the abuses in your life, the tragedies in your life, the irrationally dumb decisions you've made, in your life. Jesus sees the pain that those things have brought you. He doesn't ignore that. He doesn't toss it off to the side and go, if you only hadn't been so dumb, or if you only hadn't been in the wrong place at the wrong time, or I know what's been done to you, but get over it and move on. That's not the Jesus that we see in scripture. He sees you as a whole person made in God's image that he is restoring. He is doing the work of restoration in your life to restore you back to that whole person. It's the beauty of Jesus that we see displayed here with this blind man. So if I end the sermon right now, and I'm going to, because I want to remain in good company with Scott Long, um, a thought you might have when a sermon ends like this, and a lot of our sermons end a little more thoughtful than they do, here's 19 things to go out and get, get done. You might be thinking, you just didn't give me anything to do. You didn't give me enough to do. Um, I would say, and this is not me, I would say we are given everything we need to do if we would just see Jesus the way that this man saw Jesus. And so the one thing we do do is we do some inventory. Are we like these Pharisees? Do we, do we, find, do we find ourselves a little too close 
to these Pharisees? Or are we able to humble ourselves like this man whose blindness was healed? What are we not willing to see in our lives that creates distance between us and the Lord? And what would it look like to ask the Lord to reveal that to you? In fact, what would that look like if that was just a regular prayer for you every day? What if every day you said, Lord, would you surface some things in my life that are allowing me to be a little more pharisaical? And even though my eyes have been open to your truth and your grace and your beauty, I still have blind spots because I'm a human being. Lord, can you show me where those blind spots are? Because they're probably affecting somebody in my life to the negative. And although you don't condemn me in that, you are trying to grow me and refine me and mature me in that and through that. Would you do that work? Would you do that work in me? What if that was your everyday prayer? It can only be your everyday prayer if you've seen Jesus. And that's what it means to see Jesus is to come before him with joy, with humility, and with gratefulness. That's what we're going to do here as we take the, the bread and cup. We're going to celebrate as people, as his church that have seen him. We believe the words of the apostles in the gospels that said, we saw him with our own eye. We were in this upper room the night before his death. And he said, hey, do this in remembrance of me. Eat this bread, take this cup. It's not magic. It's how you're going to be spiritually nourished. It's how your mind is going to be reset to the glory of Jesus once again so that you can walk away together as a church in gratefulness for who Jesus is and that he is the one that brought you from blindness to sight. He is the one that has made you formerly blind person as your identity and your vocation. So I'm gonna pray, ushers are gonna come forward. We have two stations here, a station in the back and we will get in line and then we will find a couple people after we get our elements to, to take this with. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you that you have by your miraculous power and by your grace upon grace, by your new morning mercies, by your steadfast love you've allowed us to be formerly blind people. We see, but Lord, we don't just see for our own sakes. We see for the glory of God. We see to be, so that we can be a witness, a shared witness to the world. So Lord, let this, this, this blindness that we have been saved from, that we have been healed from, let there now be where there was blindness, a light that can reflect uh, the beauty of your love Lord, let us be that kind of presence to one another first and then to our community. Lord, let us see you today. Let us spend some time going before you so that you would open our eyes and our vision to things that might be obscuring it. Lord, if there's anybody here that has not seen you yet, somebody that identifies with this blind man in that they see their blindness, but they want to see, Lord, I pray that you draw them right now to you in repentance of their sin. And Lord, if it, comes from, if it comes from a sincere heart, you will forgive them. You will change their life. You will bring them into this family of God. They will have a future with you, life forever. And they will be able to take communion right now with the gathering of the saints. And so if that is you, 
you are not somebody who can identify as a follower of Christ, we ask that you just maybe stay in your seats, contemplate these things that we've spoken and prayed through. I would ask that you would do that. And for the rest of us, I pray that we would benefit from this time together where we receive once again the joy and the spiritual vitality that we have received from Jesus and his work on the cross to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.